0: Thanks Shelley. Well it was September the 11th 1999 and I was crying. No it wasn't the Twin Towers and all of that stuff it was two years beforehand. It was my wedding day. I was crying at the front of the church as my wife made her way down the long aisle towards me. I was a blubbering mess. I couldn't say anything after I was uh, uh, greeted by her. But I want you to imagine a different scenario on that September the eleventh, nineteen ninety nine. I want you to imagine that as she came down the aisle, people started to chatter, not with "gee, she looks great," or "look at her, what a wonderful sight," but instead, "she looks awful." She really chose to wear that today. He's going to marry her? Oh, she's disgusting. We've got to get rid of her. Why would he choose her of all people? Now, I have full permission to use my wife as an example in this particular analogy, okay? (laughs) I know that I'm not allowed to use anybody else in the current circumstances of life, but I've used her. Uh, You can ask her if you wish. But it just wouldn't be right, would it? For a man to choose his bride and then everybody in the room to say how disgraceful she was, that wouldn't be right. And yet, this is what people do with Jesus and his bride, the church. The church is out of touch with sexuality. The church is too judgmental. The church is old-fashioned. The church is too involved in politics. The church is not involved in politics enough. The church is just out of touch. The church is boring. The church is, and I know even as I say these types of things, some of them, we might even agree with today we come to look at the bride of Jesus his church under the topic that we call ecclesiology now as we come to think about the church together oftentimes we get the understanding of what the church is all wrong uh, for, the, for a start, some people think of the church as the building in which we are today. But of course, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, you know the church is not a building, but the people. But the second way we get this idea of church wrong is that we think of church as an event, as a, an hour or so on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening, an activity we attend, that we do church in some way, shape or form. These are the two major errors in our own culture. The church is a a building and the church is an event. But today I want to show you that Jesus has called his church to himself. And it means much more than just a building or an event. You might say, where does this word ecclesiology come from? Well, it comes from the Greek word ecclesia, ecclesia, which means gathering or assembly. It's an everyday word in the Bible. In fact, in Acts chapter 19, we find uh, that a riot, an assembly in the uh, community in the book of Acts, a riot is called a church, an ecclesia. It's an everyday word for a gathering or assembly. But this is extremely important as we come together today to think about who the church is, what the church does, and why that all matters. This morning, if you've got some questions you might like to ask, slido.com is the place to go. We're going to be answering some questions at the end of today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at those three things. Who the church is, what the church does and why it matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your church. And we ask, please, that you would help us today to recalibrate and understand again who you have called us to be. We ask that you might be with us as we look at your word this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, we start with the question, who is the church? And as I've already mentioned, it's important to say who is the church and not what is the church? The church is first and foremost an assembly, an assembly of saved people. Remember, two weeks ago, we discussed together how God saves people in a multifaceted way, like a beautiful diamond And as he saves people, he adds them to the family of the church. This is done as the church engages in mission into the world and more are added to the number of people who are saved. And yet there is a difference between the way God sees the church and the way we see the church. Let me explain. God sees the church as all of the saved people of the world everywhere for all time. This is what it means when we say in our creeds, uh, we believe in the Catholic Church, that God sees all of the people that belong to all of the church for all time. Just as this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 makes clear, look at it on your screen, the Lord knows those who are his the Lord knows who, those who are his. Everywhere, all of the people of the world, all of those who have been truly saved by the Lord Jesus, these are those who belong to the church of God. Another way of saying it is uh, what we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Again, look on your screen. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus spiritually we are gathered together with God raised with Christ seated with God in the heavenly realms today and this church as God sees it will last forever it is a church of perfect saved people it's universal in its scope but it's invisible to us we can't see this at this moment in time but it is the church that will last forever That's how God sees the church. But on the other hand, we see the church in a very different light, don't we? First of all, it's visible. We're here with one another today. But it's also imperfect. We know the imperfections in our own life and in our own church. And we know what that would look like for each and every church around the world. But it's also local. We are not a church that meets right around the world at one time on any given Sunday. We are a local church. And so we're a mixture of saved and unsaved people. We're a localised church gathering because of our limitedness in the world. And we still remain to be sanctified as individuals and as a church body together. The way we see the church is different to the way God sees the church. And this is far less than just splitting hairs. The difference is important because for some people they say, well, I belong to the invisible church. I've become a Christian. I'm saved with Jesus and I belong to that. (laughs) Why is that going off? I've got no idea. I belong to that community of God's people. I'm going to talk twice. (laughs) I belong to that community of God's people and that's enough. But Christians are called upon to gather locally and not to give up doing so because we will do so forever that is to say we've been saved to a body to a body it's interesting isn't it sometimes people say do i have to go to church to be a christian or can you be a christian without going to church well we've been saved to a body of believers If we know that we've been saved to a body of believers and we disobey that command of Jesus, then we would be right to question somebody's faith in Jesus. For they are deliberately disobeying what God has called on us to do. This is the body of Christ, loved by Jesus. Just think of these images that are used throughout the Bible to describe the church. And think of the imagery and heart that goes into it from God. The church is the people of God. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the vine of God. The family of God. The household of God. The kingdom of God. The flock of God. And the building of God. Look at this last one in Ephesians chapter 2. You've got it on your screen. About being the building of God. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are a building. With Jesus as the cornerstone, the apostles and the prophets as the foundation, and each of us as individual stones built one upon another to be a spiritual house in this world and in the world to come. This is who we are, the people of God. Different as God sees it to how we see it, but nonetheless loved by God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who we are. But what does the church do? Well, that's what we want to look at secondly this morning, what the church does. Now, as we think about what the church does, we automatically go to the Sunday service. The Sunday service that gets so much attention. What is it that the church does? Well, first of all, it's not about the Sunday service. The church does two things. It gathers together like we're doing today and then it scatters into the world around us. In the Bible, gathering people together is always a sign of God's blessing as he gathers people around himself and his glory and his word. And yet we are not yet in, for, in final glory with the Lord. And so we are not permanently gathered to him. We're scattered. This pandemic has seen, hasn't it, many people be scattered from their family. It's been hard. As for uh, sometimes weeks and sometimes months, and for some people years on end, they haven't been able to see the family members that they would love to see. And they might Zoom call one another. They might get on the phone and they might send text messages through to one another. But if they're honest with themselves, that's just not quite enough. It's not the same. What they need to do and what many will do this Christmas is gather together. They will gather in person and they will enjoy spending time together as human beings in person. God's people are to gather in that same way. They're to feel that same sense of loss as they scatter into the world for six days and gather together for that one day a week as God's people. And yet, sadly, God's people don't gather in the same way as they used to. Once upon a time, it was true to gather together as a God's people every single week. And then it was considered regular to gather together three times a month. And now it's two or one time a month and the pandemic has made it worse. But God's word says in Hebrews chapter 10, which is on your screen, that we're not to give up meeting together. Look at what it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As we scatter into this world necessarily to get on with the things of our lives, we go out to commend Christ in the world, but we must gather together regularly to encourage one another in our faith to grow us in the true faith of Christ. We come together not just to be friends and to enjoy each other's company, but to participate together in the marks of a true church. See, biblically, there are marks of what a true church is and what a false church is. And right from the time of the reformers, there were three things that marked out a true church as opposed to a false church. Because as you would know, anyone anywhere can call themselves a church, but this might not make it a true church. Firstly, they said, the true church is to be found where the word of God is preached and proclaimed where there is any denial of the basics of the Christian faith, like the authority of Scripture or the person of Jesus and who he is or the nature of the Trinity or the atonement or all the things that we've seen as uh, God saves us, where there is a distinct denial of these things, there is not a true church. The word of God must be rightly preached. Uh, But secondly, the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, must be rightly administered. We're baptised to belong to Jesus and to belong to his local church. And we continue to enjoy the, the, uh, the feeding on him in the Lord's Supper time after time after time. I remember when we were first about to lead a beach mission, we were interviewed by the Scripture Union representatives And on the beach missions, we would head down the coast and deliberately uh, go to people and ask them to become Christians, tell them about Jesus and say, would you like to become a Christian? And the people that interviewed us said, what would you do when somebody becomes a Christian? Would you take them down to the beach and baptize them? Well, we thought about it and we gave the answer, sure, why not? They've just become a Christian. Why not baptize them? But that would be wrong. They marked us down for that. They still gave us the job, that's okay, but they marked us down for that. They said, no, that's not how baptism is supposed to work. Because the right administration of the sacraments is to baptise people in the, in the community of the local church. It's right to take that person who's become a Christian on holidays to their local church and have them baptised in that community. It's interesting, isn't it? If you've ever seen someone be baptised apart from the church community, it's almost impossible to get them to be a part of the church community. What they're baptised into is what they remain a part of. The church administers the sacraments. This is the sign of a true church where the word of God is preached and the right administration of the sacraments. And then thirdly, that there is a p- appointed leadership in a church. In other words, you can't walk down the street and make your own church. Titus chapter 1 verse 5 says uh, this, it's on your screen. The reason I left you in Crete, Paul said to Titus, was that uh, you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Elders were appointed even from the time of the early church. Why? Because qualified leadership in the church is required in order to rightly preach the truth of God and rightly administer the sacraments. These are the three marks of a true church. So what does a church do? Well, the church gathers together and it scatters in the world. But when it gathers, it marks itself by the truth of the word of God preached, right administration of the sacraments and appointed leadership in that place. But you notice something? I haven't mentioned one thing about the church service as yet, about what we actually do when we get together, how many songs we sing, how many prayers we pray, how many seats there are in the building or what the vibe is or what other things We enjoy. No, what we do when we gather together is we put ourselves under the word of God. We enjoy sharing in the sacraments together. And we do those things that will help us to grow in love for Jesus, grow in love for his church and grow in love for the lost. One example of this that you find is in Acts chapter 2. Verse 42, again it's on your screen, but it's not the sum total of what the church has done throughout the ages. The first, uh, first disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, there's the uh, sacraments, and to the prayers, literally. Set prayers on behalf of the people. But of course, we know that since the early church, there's been times of singing, times of eating together a meal, not just the sacrament together and various other things that the church family might do in order to build one another in Christ. But we must not get the cart before the horse. What a church does is not a church service. What a church does is they gather, and they gather around the Word of God, and they gather to, to enjoy the sacraments together. And they're led by appointed leadership to feed the people the Word of God. And so what about us? If this is what the church is about, about who we are and what we do, let's finish with 12 reflections on you, me and the church. They're short, I promise. Here we go. 12 reflections on you, me and the church. Number one, there is no Christianity without the church. Look at this passage. It's a wonderful one from Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Paul says and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us look at what he did and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God now we might be tempted to individualize that us Christ loved us but just a few verses later in the very same chapter he writes it in a different way and says just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her using the very same language. God saved us for the church. He saved us not for a church service, but for the church. Indeed, forever we will be the church gathered with God and his people. Sometimes people say, especially in youth ministry, you know what heaven's going to be like? It's going to be a never-ending church service. And all the youth go, oh, that's just disgusting. I don't want to do that. I'm going to hell, not to heaven. That's what they say. But it's not a never-ending church service. That's not what heaven is, because that's not what church is. Church is the gathering, not the service, the gathering, and we will gather together forever. And so any Christian who deliberately removes themselves from the church of God is disobeying at best God's command and at worst is not a Christian at all. There is no Christianity without the church. Secondly... Church is more than an event. I've already mentioned this, The church is not about the service, it's about the the gathering. And when we gather, we will do things that turn into the service that we know it to be, but that's what it is, a service of the church. Indeed, throughout our time of running online services, it's been important for me uh, to be very specific with those who have been a part of those services to make sure we listen to our language because the language counts i would always say to people especially when we were pre-recording our services please don't say welcome to church today when we're all in our own homes because by definition we are not the church we're not gathered we're the church scattered at that point the church is first who we are we when we gather We gather together as God's people to encourage one another in Christ. And there are some things that we will do and some things that we will do regularly and some things that we will do in a patterned way. But the church is more than an event. It is the gathering of God's people. Thirdly, that means we are the church. Again, the the church can be misunderstood at times as an event or an organization or an institution. But as we saw in Ephesians chapter 2, each one of us are spiritual stones that the Lord is placing one on another, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, in order to build his glory in the world. You and I are the church. And so where there is a lack in the church, look to fill it. Where there is a problem in the church, seek to fix it. Where there is a person in the church that needs help, seek to help them. You and I are both integral to the work of the church locally. And that is why God put you here. Which leads us to our fourth reflection the church is the only place where the one another activities can happen. Throughout this pandemic, we've been asked the question, haven't we, uh, what is the church? We've been able to actually download live streams of services, teaching, music, various other things that are not the church. I've been clear to say over the time of this pandemic that online services are not true church. They are not the church gathered. And the reason for this is because we can't actually gather and fulfill the one another commands of the New Testament when we are doing so in front of our own screens or computers. When we are scattered across the world we cannot one another each other properly as the church of God should. Let me perhaps put it in a different way uh, with someone else's words. Look at what these guys say Hansen and Lehman in a recent book that takes the pandemic into account. They say this let's praise God that the Christian life is more than just information transfer. When, God, when church is only online We can't feel, experience and witness those truths becoming enfleshed in the family of God, which both fortifies our faith and creates cords of love between brothers and sisters. So it goes on. Virtual church is an oxymoron. Think about it. Maybe you struggle with hidden hatred towards a brother all week, but then his presence at the Lord's table draws you to conviction and confession. You struggle with suspicion towards a sister, but then you see her singing the same songs of praise and your heart warms. You struggle with anxiety over what's happening politically in your nation, but then the preacher declares Christ's coming in victory and vindication. You hear shouts of amen all around you and you recall that you belong to a heavenly citizenry allied in hope. You're tempted to keep your struggle in the dark, but then uh, the older couple's tender but pressing question over lunch, how are you really draws you out into the light none of this can be experienced virtually god made us physical and relational creatures the christian life and the church cannot finally be downloaded it must be watched heard stepped into and followed paul therefore exhorted timothy to watch his life and doctrine since both would be crucial to saving himself and his hearers only the church gathered can experience these one another's that we find 50 odd times in the new testament and the reason we should gather to experience those one another's is because fifthly we belong to each other look at romans chapter 12 verse 5 it's a strong statement so in christ we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others That's a strong word, isn't it? We belong to each other. I was thinking this week, I'm not even sure. You might tell me otherwise, and I'd be happy to know otherwise. I don't think there's a statement in the Bible of the way our children belong to us. I can't think of that statement. That our children may be stewarded by us or looked after by us, those sorts of things. Yes, belong to us. No, but in the church of God, we belong to each other. It's even stronger language than we have for our own children. We belong to each other. I know when the last time was that you went on a train but you know how trains fill up their seats they fill up in exactly the same way no matter where you are right around the world right fill up a single seat all the way along fill up a single seat all the way up the other side and then only when you absolutely have to sit next to somebody else then you'll do it only then but never before emotionally in our hearts we can experience church in this way a bit like the train seats but we belong to one another physically emotionally we belong to each other as the followers of the Lord Jesus and so it's right for us to know one another to share life with one another to know and be known to be acting in mutual service one of another and yet sixthly Church is more than just relationships and sharing life together. We're not just a bunch of friends hanging out. It is not church if three people go up to the pub and talk about the Bible together. It is not church if a Bible study group goes away for the weekend and reads the Bible three, four, five times. That's not the church. The church is not a group of self-selected people. But the church meets locally and openly to build others in Christ. The church is more than relationships and sharing life together. It's about building others in Christ. And you have been placed here to help me grow in Christ. And I've been placed here to help you grow in Christ as well. We need relationships to do that. But that's not the goal. Friendship is not the goal. But being the ones that grow one another in Christ is the goal. Seven, we need to understand unity right for a lot of Christians, they get very concerned about the fact that there's different churches all over the place. And for the, in some parts, this is because there's true churches and false churches in the same suburb. But there can be excellent, good, true churches right next to each other, in fact, on opposite corners. And Jesus said in John 17 uh, that, he, uh, that he was praying for the unity of the church, but we don't need to create that unity. That unity is already there. It's already there in the invisible church we've already spoken about. As the gospel unites true believers together, right around the world, Jesus' prayer has already been answered. We don't need to answer that prayer. And that's why when the youth go to a Katoomba convention and there's Presbyterians and Anglicans and Baptists all together in that place and the sign across the front, all one in Christ Jesus, is true because united by the gospel, these groups can come together and meet together. Beach missions are classically the same. The unity is in the gospel, not in what we do to create that unity. Jesus has made that unity possible and answered that prayer for us. Number eight, there is to be order in God's church. As we've already seen from the marks of a true church, there will be some who lead by serving the people and there will be others who submit to faithful only, faithful leadership in the church and we've already seen, that God's people will gather together and organise themselves in such a way as to make sure people are grown in Jesus Christ. And so the church is always an open gathering, though it is for Christians. Non-Christian people can come and be ministered to and hear the gospel and be changed by it, as 1 Corinthians 14 makes clear. But this means a few things for us. First of all, it means that a beach mission team like the one I led in the past is not a church because it's not permanent. It's a group of people that meet for 10 days and then dissipate. Those who might work, say, in a Christian school, the Christian school is not a church. It's not open for every member to attend. It's not open to the community for people to be involved. Likewise, your workplace Bible study could not be considered a church for it's not open to the local community, it's probably not local at all and it doesn't necessarily run under that qualified leadership we spoke about earlier. Number nine, we need to rethink our Sundays. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, again it's on your screen, Paul makes it clear that there are some things that will be done when they come together as a gathering. In the first place, I hear when you come together as a church, and so on he goes. There are things that we will do when we gather together. But those things that we do are to devote ourselves to the word of God and to the sacraments of God. And we will do other things. We will have kids' ministries and gingerbread nights, and we will have youth groups and music, and we hope we will have friendships and smiles and fun. But these things are not what the church gathering does. I know from 20 years of ministry, when people go looking for churches, the the list usually goes like this. Number one, the music. Number two, the kids and youth programs. Number three, the friendships that I might have. But that's to be in the wrong order. All of those things are good things. I give myself to those things regularly, but they are secondary to the word of god and the sacraments being administered well number 10 we need to understand the times that we live in we live in a time where the church is imperfect and local and visible in the future we will see the church as god does as its beautiful bride perfect just as god sees it now and so We must always be keen to reform the church of God by the word of God, but we must also resist idealism to assume that the church now must look like what the church in the future, in God's eyes, looks like now, because it will not look that way ever. We know the church now is not all that it could be. The church now is hopefully becoming more like Christ over time, but we must resist an idealism that makes us so critical of what we see in the church that we don't love the church like Jesus does, which is number 11. Love the church. We're almost there. As I mentioned at the beginning, many in and outside of the church will pile on the church or hold the church at arm's length, but... The church is Jesus' bride. He gave his life for her. He loves her. As we saw in Ephesians chapter 5, he gave himself up for the church, not for the church services, but for the gathering, for the church. Do you love the church in the same way that Jesus does? Jesus died for his church. He wants you to love his church just as he loves His church, the gathering of God's people for whom he died. And then finally, the church is bigger than you think. Your home, the harbour bridge, the centre tower tower, actually won't last forever. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? A harbour without the bridge, there will be a day. But the church of God will last forever. Our own personal successes, they'll be forgotten they won't last forever but the church of god will succeed and last forever the big businesses that we think of today the facebooks and the apples of this world one day they will be no more and people will laugh that they were ever a thing in the first place but the church of god will last forever as jesus said to peter in matthew chapter 16 again it's on your screen look at what he said on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it the gates of hell will not prevail against the dingy dark old church in the world that god has made and indeed for that reason it brings us back to the reading that shelley brought us just a moment before in ephesians chapter 3 look at it here so that through the church the manifold wisdom of god might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places and this was according to the eternal purpose that he had realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The church is in the eternal purposes of Christ to show off his glory to the world. And not only to the world, but the spiritual powers and authorities in the world. God would gather us together to show us off to the world. We are his bride. We are his trophy that he shows off. We are his glory. And so today, I want you to recommit to the church, to love the church, to rethink what the church is and what it does, and to go to church because Jesus loves the church so much so that he would die on a cross for us, the church. I'm going to pray in a minute, but first I'm going to answer a couple of questions. So if you'd like to jump onto slido.com and ask a question or two, that'd be great. I'm going to give you two minutes or so to have a think about that, and we'll come back and answer some in a moment. Okay, thank you for a couple of questions that have come through. Please keep asking them if you would like to. Uh, first one is from Mike. Are folks who cannot attend a gathering but are regular online, not really part of the church, uh, is, the, is their faith somehow less than those attending? That's a great question. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I'll give you an example by using an analogy. I'm a part of a sporting team, the Engadine Dragons B4 cricket team, right? We're good. Uh, <laughs> as good as it sounds... Um, (laughs) the uh, that I'm a member of that team right now I'm a member of that team right now Uh, but clearly I'm not doing what the team is doing right now Uh, because the team is not together we gather together for a purpose at the time Uh, but I'm always a member of the team you're always a member of the church if you belong to Jesus that's just the truth Um, but if you're always scattered if you're always scattered then you're not uh, obtaining the blessings that God has uh, for us when we gather together. Now, obviously, some people cannot physically do that. That's fine. Uh, that, that's always been the case as a part of God's people. People are, uh, are ill uh, or, they're, or they're shut in in some way or they're not able to be in the gathering of God's people. And the people of God need to make sure that those people are included as best as they can uh, in the activities of the gathering of the local church. That's important. What's happened in this day and age, though, is we've created a new category. Because of the online stuff that we've got, we've got a new category of convenience. So we've got convenience of it's too hard to get out of bed, it's too hard to get myself moving and motivated, and so it's not sickness that's keeping me away from the gathering, it's just the it's stuff that I've got at home that's on, That so we need to... Uh, disassociate the two from each other. Online church is is not real church, and I make those strong statements because I want to get rid of that other category uh, because that's that's not true church over there. This stuff over here that's a really good thing for those people who can't be with us for whatever reason, health wise or, or or anything else. Uh, and so uh, I think I would want to say uh, that the gathering of God's people is essential. It's essential to being a follower of the Lord Jesus. It's always been the case that people as a part of that gathering, can't part of the church can't gather together, uh, but we cannot use that uh, as an excuse in our own day and age to not gather together. Uh, I think that's important and it's incumbent on the rest of us to provide the blessings uh, that those people will miss out on as well. Uh, next one remember Philip who baptized the Ethiopian eunuch immediately yep Uh, there are other things oh that's not the question itself sorry yes I do remember that Uh, there are other examples in the Bible of people being baptized at the time of conversion that's true Uh, but most of the time in the book of Acts it's because of a particular reason so the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized at the time uh, in order to show that the Gentiles were true full members of the people of God Uh, You've got to also remember about the context of of history at the time as well. Um, He's going home to Ethiopia. Presumably there's no church in pre-existence in Ethiopia anyway, in which he could be baptised from. He's going to go down there and he's going to be the first Christian in his part of the world. And so to take the lessons from the book of Acts would be a mistake. We said that when we did Acts a few years ago. Prescriptiveness from the book of Acts and drawing those prescriptive lessons out of it is the wrong way to do it. It's a description of what happened uh, back there in the past. And uh, we need to make sure uh, that, uh, that we also keep it in, in line with what the rest of the New Testament says when they started to establish the churches uh, as well. So it's a good question. Uh, secondly, sh- related to that, should we be baptised at a new local church if baptised at another church in the past? No. We only ever get baptised once in our whole life, that's it, because we only get washed from sin internally once in our whole life. And so when we get baptised multiple times in our life, what we're saying is, Jesus' death wasn't enough the first time, I need to get washed a second time, which is not true. Jesus washed us once and for all, uh, and we have the sign once and for all. And so uh, what it does, though, is it it gives us membership into the church in which we belong. Uh, and so we belong in that church. But if we go to another church, uh, oftentimes they'll say, have you been, have you been baptized? Are you, are you a member of the church of God? And that's what it means to be a part. We've got very loose membership stuff in the Anglican church. That's our history. Uh, but in other churches, you'll go there and they'll ask you for that, that information as well. So no, you shouldn't be baptized twice at all. Uh, but, uh, but you don't need to do that uh, when you go to another church uh, also final question are there examples in the bible of singing in the church gathering and why is music so important in the church service today there's pretty much always been singing in the church gather, the gathering of god's people because you can't stop their joy because of uh, what jesus has done for them colossians 3 says uh, we saw this a few weeks ago let the word of christ dwell in you richly uh, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to god um, we uh, sing songs Primarily to teach the truths of Jesus, to teach the truths of the Word of God into our hearts. It's a teaching function. That's the number one thing we do when we sing together. Um, for uh, the sad point for us uh, is, is that uh, in our emotionalized world, we make it all about the emotion over here. Not that it's not about emotion. I'm not saying that, but we make it all about the emotion rather than the words that are being taught to us in the singing. Um, That's why what these guys do is very important in singing the songs and selecting the songs and making sure they're teaching us well from what's there. Singing is so important in churches today because we are the most emotional group of people that has kind of ever met. We want to feel good about everything. Um, You you go into a shopping centre and you go into a shopping centre to feel good. That's what they do. They put music in the background and they put decorations everywhere and they make sure you feel good. We need to feel stuff today. And so, music is a big part of the church today because we like to feel. Feeling's not bad, but it's not the purpose of music, which is to teach us. Finally, how do home churches fit into this when there are local churches to attend? If there's a local church to attend that's teaching the Bible and rightly administering the sacraments, uh, I don't think there's any other reason to attend another church in the local area unless there's a different language being spoken. I think that's the only reason you would belong to another church. Uh, So there are other churches in our town, of course, but they differ on important things that would make it hard for us to be together week on week on week. That would just make fight after fight after fight after fight. So we can be united at a bit of a distance, that's okay, but we'd fight all the time if we were together. Um, But if, uh, if there's a uh, a division on all of those different little issues and we just do what whatever kind of we think in that regard then that's going to be uh that's going to be a problem if there's a good gospel minded bible teaching church to attend then people should attend that church in my view uh and we can talk about that later a bit more um one last thing before we finish i'm aware that it doesn't matter if this is part of a series or not whenever i talk about the church people hear me to say oh not enough people come to church. Steve needs to do a sermon about people coming to church. There needs to be more people coming to church. That's what I hear. So uh, just to make sure that that's not the case, and because this guy's way more eloquent than me, I'm going to finish with a fellow from America describing all the things I've just said.
1: One of the things... that there seems to be a suspicion of uh, any kind of institution or organization. The, the, the rhetoric goes that all institutions, all organizations will ultimately abuse their power and their authority and therefore not to be trusted and to be rejected. And, and one of the unfortunate ways that's played out for Christians uh, is that Christians, uh, many Christians have become um, men and women who go to church but don't necessarily belong to one. Uh, and so what, what ends up happening is, is church becomes this spectator-like event, almost like a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game, where we come and we sit, and our expectation is to hear good preaching and hear good music and for somebody to help our kids not uh, get strung out on drugs or get pregnant as a teenager. And we expect it to be high quality and good and, and to, to really be there for us as a spectator. And yet what we see in the Bible is a much different picture of what the local church is meant to be, like the local church is meant uh, to be uh, a place where men and women are sanctified as they know one another, that that God is at work in the mess uh, of the church of Jesus Christ in a given location. And so the Bible's going to call us towards one another and towards commitment to one another, not in just some kind of universal sense, uh, but really in a localized sense, that I am to be known, you are to be known, that our weaknesses should be seen and our strengths should be seen. Uh, And so I want to encourage you, when you think about church, when you think about the gathering, when you think about that community of faith that you're going to, I I want you uh, to not just go to, but belong to it, be a part of it. Give your gifts over for its betterment. Receive from it not just all the things that you prefer, but receive from it even the things that will be difficult. The, the local church has always been messy. Uh, go and read First and Second Corinthians if you just need a primer on this. The, the church will be messy. There's a lot of sinners involved, but the messiness of it should not deter us from the primary method by which the Spirit of the living God sanctifies us and grows us more into the image of Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a man or woman, you go to a church, but you don't belong to one. Take those necessary steps to not just be a spectator, but to be a participant in God's story of redemption in that local body that you belong to. So bring your gifts, bring your expectation. Receive from that, not not just um, not just preaching of the word, not just baptism, not just communion, but receive oftentimes what what could be called a discipline or rebuke, or the, these are the ways that we're sharpened and grown by other Christians. And so, I want to invite you into the mess to be a participant rather than a spectator when it comes to your local church. How about we pray uh, that uh, what we've just.